I want to begin in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 34, so that we get our context for where we are today. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. So this is this church is being written to. That's something to go through. Um, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered a to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. <clears throat> and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing that there, where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The word of the Lord. So what I'd like for us to think about this morning is just to kind of, you know, ask yourself this question is you know have you ever felt like giving up have you have you ever felt like giving up and then ask the question why why does anyone ever feel like giving up and you could say well giving up on what and it can be giving up on anything you can give up on a relationship. You can give up on a job. You can give up on a, on a hard puzzle you're trying to solve. You can give up on a, a very hard homework assignment. I've seen lots of kids just feel like they just need to give up when the, they're trying to do all this work on the computer and their teachers are supposed to be there and it's just aggravating and it's like, Ugh. you just feel like giving up. I'm done. Some people feel like giving up on life. They just, I'm done. And it can be very sad. So why do people sometimes feel like giving up? Why do we feel like giving up sometimes? And it's never because everything is going great. You know, you're working on a puzzle, and you're finding all the pieces. You're not, and it's coming together. You don't go, I give up. 
you know, you're doing your homework and you know all the answers and you're enjoying it and it's all going great and you're just, this is the best thing ever, you don't give up on that. You have a relationship and it's in the beginning and everybody says, oh, everything I do, everything you do, you don't give up on those relationships. So you don't give up on things unless something's wrong, unless something's hard. Um, things can get pretty hard and then you begin to think, you begin to believe that you're going to fail. That no matter how hard you try, how much effort you put into it, it's not going to make things any better. It may even make things worse, make me more frustrated. So success is not possible. So you give up. And there's a word we use for this that's pretty good, and it's um, disheartened. To be disheartened. And there's nothing worse than somebody's become disheartened. It just keeps going off. I feel like giving up. You know, to be disheartened about things, your, your heart is just no longer in something. You know, maybe usually it's something that at first you start off well. I remember thinking in my first year of school, every year, it was like, you know, there's been no classes, there's been no exams, there's been no test. I'm starting off Perfect. Every year. I don't know how long that lasted, but I was just thinking, everything's 100 right now. Everything's an A+. Plus. You know, and so how far do you go in the school year if you're having trouble, things happen, that you become disheartened with that, that you don't feel like you can do anything. And if you see students who just, you know they're disheartened, you know they've been given too much. You know something in their life is going on and they just can't handle anymore. And we know what you're empathetic with people. If you can feel what they feel, you know what that's like to feel like I can't handle one more thing. And even as a Christian, you might know I know I can handle one more thing, God, but don't prove it to me. <laughs> I don't want I just feel like giving up. And the world can get like that, and the world gets like that, and what does it do? Sometimes it gives up. And then sometimes it lashes out. Sometimes it tries to, you know, you know because you do it too. Because we were once of the world too, and we too often act like the world as well. But things can begin to get so hard. So many things can happen to frustrate your progress that you lose hope. And, you know, especially with little children here, it doesn't take long before you figure out what it feels like to give up on something. I see little children all the time. You know, you get, you're trying to learn how to walk, and you keep falling down. That is very fresh. Everybody remember what it was like when you first tried to learn how to walk? No? Okay. You got over it. Okay? You keep going, and eventually, hopefully, you figure things out. And so hopefully what we learn as we grow, if you have encouragers in your life, is continue, press forward. Your life is going to be different years from now than it is now. Make good decisions. Surround yourself with good people who want the best for you. Be in a church. Um, stay in the Word. Don't give up. And it's very difficult not to give up. To want to give up is a very difficult, hard feeling. And to try to get somebody who has decided that they're giving up to decide not to give up, to tr get up, try again, 
That is very difficult. And people make a lot of money to stand up in front of people and say, you can do it, you can do it, and you can do it. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody, get up. You can do it. And you can get a crowd of people to say, right, I can do this, yeah. And everybody's chanting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the crowds go away and you're back home and the same problems and the same thing and I can't do it. Because that guy had my energy. That guy gave me the moral support. That guy lent me his energy for a while. God doesn't do that. God gives you his spirit. And so what we have to do is live by his spirit. You're energized by the word of God. You're energized by other Christians. You're encouraged by others. And you have a peace that surpasses understanding when you walk in faith and not just by sight. And we may feel like giving up, but God will pull us through. But we have to help other people and to encourage other people with the word of God. It's very important that we're able to use the word of God. In this letter we call Hebrews, it was most likely written to a group of Christians in the early church who were about to give up. Many of them had given up. They had had enough. We just read they had their property plundered. I mean, there's not much worse than your stuff being taken. And there's even worse. I mean, it's bad when somebody just steals it and you figure, you know, it's just bad people. But when you have your property plundered by the state and by the synagogue and by Jews and by your friends because you are no longer in an approved religion, then you got to think, you know, the only, the, you, what you could do to escape all this is to deny Christ. You just go back to worshiping in the Jewish synagogue. And these were Jewish people who had become Christian believers. And they'd been disowned by friends. Their whole life network of support that they've been building for years and years was gone. And life was getting harder and harder because of their faith. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So don't listen to anybody tell you that if you just have more faith, you won't have problems. That's a lie. It's an anti-gospel that churches to be anathema. Okay? You in this life will have problems. Pick up your cross and follow me. It is not pick up your... I don't know, cushy pillows and come, you know, I mean, it's bury your cross. He says, my yoke is easy. So you can do these things in Christ. But once you believe that everything's supposed to go well as a believer, well, man, the world will go to the things that are supposed to make things easy. But the worldly things that make things easy make you the slave of them. And God calls you to be his slave, his servant. And he says, my yoke is easy and I will give you rest for your souls. Buy food without price. Buy drink with, without price. Come to the fountain of living water. And then I will make the Holy Spirit within you a well, overflowing to other people. That's the good news of the gospel. The world will hear nothing of it. So strange that the world will reject the good news. Because it first has to see itself and confess itself to be sinful. But they protect their sin. They protect their lives. They don't want to, indeed cannot come to God. Because they know their deeds are evil and in the light they will be exposed. And that's why God has to do something first. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. As we preach the word of Christ, God has people out there that he's activating. That he has chosen. There is seed that's being thrown everywhere and there is soil that has been prepared to receive it. And we are called to cast that seed 
everywhere. We don't know whose soul has been prepared, whose soil has been prepared for these things. And we do know there are many people who will quickly accept the word of God and then they'll fall away because troubles happen. And so the word of God tells us that. They will quickly fall away. There's no root. And then there's other soils in the parable of the sower where the friends come along. The world cares. It concerns the world. They get trapped up in it. Like Peter walking on the water and the seas of storms and the waves and he falls. Jesus grabs him. Why did you have a little faith? Why did you doubt? That's what a believer gets is the hand of Christ. A non-believer falls in the water and has nowhere to go but down, down, down and desperately. If you ever try to save somebody who's drowning, the first thing they teach a lifeguard is how to keep that person you're saving from drowning you. And as believers, we need to be aware of that too because when you try to save people who are non-believers, they will fight you in this spiritually, maybe physically, but probably spiritually, and they will drag you down with them if they can. So you have to make sure you have a sure and steady hope and anchor in the heavens for our souls, that we are not grounded in our need to have other people. It's like we're, I used to hate, and that's probably a strong word, loathe having to sell things for baseball, school, football, church. <laughs> it's like, go sell these things. I sold Drix. What's that stuff called? What's that? Drixel? Drexel? Some kind of clothes. I don't know. It's like candles, cookies, candies, all these things. You want to buy some of this? Yes. That's awesome. I can do this all day long. You want some of this? No. <laughs> I'm done. I give up. You know, so some people are salesmen. They don't mind that. They thrive on that. And so when you're sharing the gospel with people and they reject you, it's okay. They don't know what they're missing. Next house. You know, but most of us aren't like that. We share the gospel. We're rejected. We're done. I give up. I don't want to share the gospel anymore. And we can't be like that because the gospel is not a sales pitch. The gospel is a proclamation. The gospel is telling somebody the truth. If people are driving down the road and there's a terrible thing around the corner and if you don't stop, you're going to have a terrible accident, you don't stand there and say, hey, stop, get out of the way, jerk. I'm done. I'm not telling anybody else. Let them die. It's like you can't do that. You have to figure out a way to be able to stand there and shout the truth in some way that some people might hear and be saved. Not because of the good feeling we get from it, but because we know the desperate need that people have for this. Our problem with lack of evangelism is a lack of belief in hell, a lack of belief in heaven, a lack of belief in salvation, a lack in the belief that God actually saves people. It's very encouraging in Haiti to walk around and you see a bunch of people being baptized. Somebody sees these people baptizing. They're like, can you tell me about Jesus? Yes, I can. Would you pray for me, please? Yes, I will. Can I be baptized? Yes, you can. <laughs> it's just like, let's keep walking down the road. You want to know about Jesus? You want to know about Jesus? You want to know about Jesus? Here we go. I mean, it's just like candy man. Everybody's just out there ready for it, ready, readily receiving it. And you come back here and you're like, get out of my face. Close the door. Be quiet. I don't want to hear it. Even believers, even people maybe in this very church this morning, don't want to hear it when it comes down to meddling in the parts of your life that you have hidden from God and refuse to give over to him. And when you start hitting a person in that area where they hurt the worst, if, if you ever go to a chiropractor and they find that place 
that's got that problem and they push it. I've heard Amy say this. I'm not going back to him no more. Using better English than that. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'd say, he said, all right, this is going to hurt bad. Sorry. It's like, well, if you're sorry, you wouldn't do it. It's like, no, there's a job to do here. I'm going to do this. Whether or not you come back is up to you. But if you want to be healed, this is going to have to happen. You're going to have to go through this. When we're sharing the gospel with people, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be looked down upon. You might have family that doesn't want to be around you anymore. So who do you love more? And what are you saying when you tell people, you know, I will tone it down when I'm around you. I'm not saying go to people and be the aggravating life insurance salesman that won't take no for an answer. But you live out your faith before your family and your friends. You live it out and you make sure that the way you're living your life, watch it in the mirror and see what it is that you truly believe by the things that you're doing. And when you find the shortcomings in your life, confess them to other people, confess them to God, and then ask him to work on these things for you, and he will. But sharing the gospel with people, praying for people is very frustrating. You know, banging your heart against some mad bugger's wall, you know, it's just disheartening. But we're told not to give up, that God is at work. And this church that this letter of Hebrews is being written to has been taken through it. And we know historically they're about to go through a lot more. And this is being given them not to protect them from hard things, but to protect them through hard things, to get them through the things that are going on. So this letter was written to them as an encouragement. It comes to them inspired by God. This church that this was written to had every reason to give up. But they only had one reason not to, and it's because of the reality of Jesus Christ and the fact that they had faith. Their faith is what kept them there. And neither should we give up. We shouldn't give up on church. We shouldn't give up on life. We have to stay encouraged, and we have to continue to encourage one another. And this encouragement is what Hebrews is going to to give us, if we let it speak to us, if we look to our faith. And notice what Hebrew doesn't, Hebrews doesn't say. It doesn't say, have enough faith and your problems will disappear. It's not telling them that. The reason you're having persecution is you don't have enough faith in Christ. It's not saying that. He's not saying, if you don't have enough faith, then all this stuff's going to go away and it's going to go smoothly. God is saying, have faith in him and you can persevere through it. If you have faith in him, then you can keep moving forward, and you can and you must trust God with your obedience. And that's something we have to get right first. You're not saved by your obedience, but as James tells us, that show me your faith without any works at all, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So that an active living faith in a person produces obedient living. It produces Christ-like behavior. It can be slow, but it should be progressive in a person's life. There may be times when um, you just have tremendous jumps of sanctification. And those are times you got to be careful because you can start elevating yourself and being prideful and stuff. So it's always this thing in a Christian's life where we watch our steps, we watch one another carefully, we humbly accept people who might come to us with um, challenges of things that we may be doing wrong or that they perceive as being done wrong too, that we listen to these things. But the passage this morning, particularly in chapter, in verse 8 of chapter 11, 
It just says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. And you stop right there a second. You know, how did he obey? Well, we've heard without faith, it's impossible to please God. We also know that Abraham in the Old Testament was told and reiterated, said again in the New Testament that it was not, Abraham was not saved by his obedience. That his faith was credited to him as righteousness. His faith was. Then God said, you know, circumcision. So these things. But what you see with Abraham is he obeyed. And then God didn't bless him with faith. God gave him faith. And because Abraham had faith, he obeyed. So I think we can be a bit... It's tricky to teach this today in the church because so much of the church is what we call legalistic. In other words, if you do better, God will love you more. You are judged almost... And maybe even by... The good-meaning, well-meaning Christians who want to make sure everybody has faith, especially their children have faith or other people around them have faith. How do I know if they have faith? Well, by their behavior. It's like, well, that's true. The tree is known by its fruits. But it's sometimes like we try so hard just to produce fruit without faith that you can dishearten people. You can cause people to give up on the Christian faith because you are not good enough is the first principle of the gospel. And yet we can spend a lot of time trying to directly or indirectly or subliminally communicate to people, if you would look better, dress better, act better, then we believe you're a better Christian. We will treat you better. We treat people based on their behavior. And then when a person... Some people are, excel at elder brother type stuff. I can put on, you, I can look good. I can act good. So, you know, Eddie Haskell, man, I was just young enough to see reruns of Leave it to Beaver. But you guys don't know, Eddie Haskell is that guy, and you all know this guy. He's your friend, and he's the, the jerk friend. He's mean and rude to everybody, but when he gets around your parents, he's just like the angel, and your parents love him, but you know he's mean to everybody else. That was Eddie Haskell. He'd show up and, hello, Mr. Ward, Mrs. Cleaver, you know, I think was what he would say. And he was just perfect in front of them. But behind the scenes, he was a little manipulative thing. And so we know people like that. And there are people like that that can thrive in the church. The Judases. They can look like, you know, Judas had the resume that you would hire him to work at the bank. And he's stealing the whole time. So we don't want to have the, our outsides cleaned up, but our insides cleaned up. But if your insides are being cleaned up, it should begin to produce some fruit. You see the problem? So that what you end up wanting to do is you do want people to live righteous lives, but you want them to do it by faith. But how do they know they're doing it by faith and not by, you know, just rewards or because they're being threatened or punished or, or whatever, made to feel like they're worthless unless they rise to a certain level of standards for the world to see? And so the, the solution to that is you, you're the only person that has any control over yourself. So what you do is make sure that you know that other people in your life know that you love them and that you care about them. And if you see people destroying themselves, you will say something about that. But that you understand and that you can, see, you know, it's not the type of thing where you, you try your best not to communicate. If you do better, I will love you more. 
But because of my deep love for you, it hurts me to see you do these things. But it's hard to communicate this stuff to people. But you have to make sure that, I tell parents sometimes are afraid to discipline their children because they don't want their children to think they don't love them. And it's like, your children know if you love them. <laughs> discipline your children in love and, and let things work themselves out. That's why it's very good to have two, a husband and a wife, they're both believers that are working together in this. So if one's going out of control, the other one's not doing right. You help each other, you work each other, and you figure these things out together. But there is a, an obedience that comes from faith. And that's the obedience that we need to be aware of. A true, not Eddie Haskell, but, you know, the Beave. He was a good kid. <laughs> He was. And that's how we want to be. We want to be more like Christ that comes from faith. And he promises to help us with that. But we need to stay close to him and walk by faith and not by sight. So the Spirit is telling this church and telling us in Hebrews that Abraham, that they highly revered Father Abraham was able to do what he did because he had faith. And he's telling them, if you have faith, you can do things too. If you have faith, that's what made these guys that they're worshiping in the Jewish church able to do things is they had faith. What's going to get that church through the persecutions? Faith. Do you want to go have no Christ and know what comes after without Christ? but be saved through all this world's problems, and that's what Satan offers? Or do you want to say, I'll go through this with Christ and heaven awaits? There is a land that awaits. There is a promised inheritance that awaits that Abraham obeyed, and he didn't know where he was going. And the God has told us, it's not entered into the mind of man the things that awaits us in heaven. We know where we're going. He knew he was going to the promised land, but he didn't know exactly where it was. He didn't know a lot about it. It's certainly an image of what we're doing, walking through this world and trying to get through things, knowing that there's something out there that's been promised. And how did Abraham, how did that man do it? It wasn't because of how awesome he was. It wasn't because of how great he was. It wasn't because of his tremendous intellect. It was because he had faith. You have faith. Follow Christ. Do what he says. And he'll help you through it. Abraham was imperfect. We're imperfect. We're called to go. Abraham was called to go. You're called to live your life. You're called first. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin. Follow Christ. Turn from the world, turn to God. And then Matthew 28, the Great Commission tells us to observe all that Christ has commanded. That means being a disciple, following him, teach other people to do it, take it to the nations, make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Do it. I can't do it. I'm not a salesman. You're not supposed to be a salesman. You make a proclamation, God does the rest, and you just keep going through your life. Proclaim it with the way you live, but it has to be followed with the gospel. Belief and faith in Jesus Christ. God sent his son. You know, do you know where it happens to you when you die? Do you think that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Do you consider yourself to be a good person? If God were to judge you just on your actions, just on your, just on your, your things you've done right or wrong, or you be found innocent or guilty? Because you know God's a holy God and demands perfection, so one sin's enough to condemn you forever. How many sins have we heaped up? So, you're judged by a righteous God, righteously, you're condemned. You go to hell. Does that concern you? Do you know what God has done so that you don't have to go to hell? And then how quickly can you articulate that? How precisely can you articulate it? God sent his son. I mean, John 3.16, this is how God loved the world. 
He sent his only son into the world to die on the cross so that all the believers in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And this is the judgment. People love the darkness rather than the light and won't come into the light because their deeds are evil. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Then you don't get into a debate about it. That's fine. But the gospel's not a debate. It's a proclamation. Proclaim the truth. And let the Holy Spirit do the work. But be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And we have an inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 says it's kept for us in the heavens. And the things that happen to us are for the perfecting of our faith, which is more precious than gold or silver or any such thing. Your faith. That's what, that's like, see the deep sea divers and they have those big round tank things and they, they go down and they, and they have the pipe that goes down and, and I don't know how they do it now, but in old movies there's got to be some guy you trust up there pumping that oxygen down to you, the air down to you. And, uh, but that, that pipe, that's like your faith. It's not what saves you, it's what connects you to what saves you. God connects us to himself by his Holy Spirit through faith. So that's the instrumental cause of our faith, the means of our salvation is by faith. So Paul says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that await those who love him. And what I want to do is I want to close by um, <clears throat> understanding that first, you have to have faith to believe and to trust in Christ. Secondly, you have to be encouraged by the fact that you have faith and that God does great things through that in your life gets you through difficulties in your life because it's by faith that those great Old Testament saints were able to do the good that they did. But I want to now to listen to testimony of somebody, somebody, somebody's prayer. Somebody's gone through, I mean, you hear it, it's just like, wow. You've, you, you, you're poetically expressing yourself in prayer in a very powerful way. Are you even a believer? And you know it's a believer because they're crying out to God for this. But I want you to hear how they go through this and then how they come out of it. How a person in desperation, not just of having trouble doing my homework, not just in I having trouble at school or relationships or whatever, but a person who just feels like life is too much and I can't do it. Where is God? So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 88. You know, hear the Holy Spirit inspiring the author of this um, and listen to the, the emotions in it. I'm going to kind of read it a little quickly. I want you to follow along. And um, if you have time later, go through this again and, and hear how he goes through it. And the Psalms are great for whatever emotional things that you go through. It helps us to see that as believers, we go through depths of despair and heights of exuberance where just and God takes us through all these things. So Psalm eighty eight. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. But first line, God of my salvation. He knows who he's talking to. My life draws near to Sheol, to the grave. 
I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one who's set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depth of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. That means kind of stop right there a second and think about it. That's You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders among the dead? Do the departed rise and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness to Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? He said, I can't do these things if I'm laying there dead. Follow with me a minute. Everybody look at me in the eye. Every single person, young, old, whatever, look right at me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't mess with what you're messing with unless you're looking at the Bible. But I want you to look at me and I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this person who thinks God is against them, okay? And that's where we are right now. He said, if I die, I can't praise you. Why are you killing me? Then he says this. This is our one glimmer of hope. But, oh Lord, I cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Then right back to it. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is left over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Period. End of psalm. You know, you want these psalms to wrap up and say... But, oh my God, you have, sir, you, you, you've saved me, you've made me a light. It doesn't. It ends in darkness. I know you're a God of my salvation. It says, I'm crying to you, but these things you have done to me and even my friends have become darkness, period. But then there's a next psalm. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known the faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will, will be built up forever. In your heavens you will establish your faithfulness. And you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. This is looking forward to Jesus Christ even. Let the heavens praise you, your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that's in it. You you have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, and your, is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your faith, who exult in the name of the Lord. You are righteous and exalted, for you are the glory of their strength. You, your favor, is, your, your horn is exalted. Your shield belongs to the Lord. Our King is the Holy One of Israel. 
Israel, of old you spoke in a vision to the godly one and said, I've granted help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from your people. I found David. I'm in verse 20, by the way. I have found David, my servant, my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established on him. My arm shall strengthen him. My enemies shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike him down. Strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. And the name... In my name, he sh his horn shall be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love will keep forever. My covenant will stand firm in him. I will establish his offspring forever. His throne as the days of heaven, his children forsake my law. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression from the rod and the iniquity of stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips once for all I have sworn my holiness I will not lie to David his offspring shall endure forever it's thrown as long as the sun before me like the moon it shall be established and faith faithful witness in the sky Salah and he's just gone off in praise he's just man but Now you've cast me off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant of your servant. You've defiled his crown in dust. You've breached all his walls. You've laid his strongholds. All who pass by plunder him. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on with these things that have happened. In the first psalm, it begins, O Lord God of my salvation. And he goes into it. Second Psalm, he does the same thing. He just spends more time in praise before he gets to the problem with where he is. And in verse 48, he says, What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And we know that's Christ. But he ends like this. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. How I bear in my heart the insults of all many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And if your Bible says book four, that's the end of book three. And that's how that book ends in the Psalms, where he says, blessed be the Lord God. And I read all this because I want you to see, and I want you to be able to go through the Psalms and read these things like this too. Don't just get an intellectual theological thing. What am I learning from here? Listen to the heart of these people and how they go through these things. And they're praising God and they've got these terrible things. And he comes to the end of his prayer and he says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Because that's walking by faith. People in the Old Testament didn't have it perfect. And they're able to believe because life is good. People in the Old Testament had it hard. And they were able to go through it because they knew God is good. They knew God does these things. Even when he's saying, you're the one causing these things to come upon me. I still trust in you. And that's what faith is. And that's the kind of faith we have to have. And if we don't develop that kind of faith, it's not going to take much to knock us off of our foundations. But we have Christ Jesus who is a solid foundation. But if you don't have a lot of wind coming against you, and you don't have a lot of problems, you don't figure out how to firm yourself up. And Satan would love nothing more than for you to believe that you're strong so that when a real thing comes along, it doesn't take much. 
So strengthen your faith now. Build your foundations while there's not a storm. But what you'll see is the storms that come into our life are what causes us to dig deep into the things of God and cause us to be rooted and grounded in Him. So when we take communion, it is with a joyous thanksgiving and a recognition that without Christ, I can't do anything. Our problem is we can do an awful lot without Christ. And we're buying the lie. So let's pray. Father God, when we come to you with, in the Lord's Supper, help us to know you're feeding your people and we need you and we'll die without you. Help us to have the kind of faith that's able to take us through times like the psalmist. And we're able to have glimmers of hope. And then we see people going through it and we're able to come along beside them so we're not isolated, Lord. Help us to be together so that we might glorify you together and encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We thank you and pray these things in your holy name. Amen.